Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. The Square Ball Podcast. Well, hello. Welcome to Podcast 120. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. Well, it's been a week of ups and downs. We'll get through that in just a bit. We will pick our heroes and villains too, but quick word first about issue eight of our fanzine. A fine thing. Very highbrow featuring Lord Bamford on the cover, clutching his violin, holding his instrument. It went on sale for the West Brom game. You can grab yours online. And if you want that on your phone or your tablet, the cheapest way to read it is to grab yourself a digital subscription. It's priced at a quid a month, and you can read that and all the issues back to 2009. That is at thesquareball.net. Well, loads of contrast across this last week, that sort of terrible low of QPR versus that bounce back against West Brom. Do you think then without the defeat at QPR, would we have got that West Brom result in the same fashion? I'd have liked to have won both games 1-0 really, but you know, don't want to be miserable about the, uh, what was a very good result, but the QPR game did feel very upsetting at the time. A couple of 4-0s would have been nice as well. Yeah, I mean, that's fine as well. Yeah, how how much was a reaction and how much was just, I think we were helped by the different styles of play, QPR very much letting us have the ball and staying in their penalty area. West Brom kicked off the game as if they thought they could win. Forward ball, big mistake, it's where they went wrong. I think we would have beaten West Brom in any case, whether it would have been as emphatic, as wonderful, arousing as it ended up being, who can say. I know we don't want to get too mired in the QPR result because it might take a bit of the gloss off West Brom, but what do you think went wrong there? We missed chances. We should have been in the lead before they were... And I think as the West Brom game showed and as this whole season shows, if we get in the lead, then we do pretty much always win. Um, and it's not fair that teams sometimes stop us. It was a lazy goal as well. It was very different to starting the game against West Brom. We were straight out and even the start of the second half against West Brom, Tyler Roberts did that Kemar Roof thing of trying to score straight from the kickoff running up. This time we just let them get to the byline. Calvin Phillips got turned, Pontus Janssen let Freeman get ahead of him. Nobody really seemed to know what they were doing. I think maybe we were so focused on how we were going to beat QPR. They all forgot. It's like, oh yeah, we actually have to defend as well. And then, yeah, once they scored, it was, uh, it just makes it very, very difficult for us to break a team down. And we've only got the one, we know exactly what's going to happen is we're just going to keep doing the same thing until it works, unless it doesn't work. And it's one of those nights when it doesn't work. But that, uh, Bamford and Dallas played upfield as passes between them. How that did, they didn't score. Yeah, we should have scored three within the space of about two seconds because Bamford should have hit the shot first time. Then Dallas should have scored. Then Bamford should have scored. Then I think, did he, did he have two Bamford goals? again, yeah. And the keeper was, well, he was a good save, but he was just sort of, it was one of those where he was just sort of throwing his arms and legs around and it stuck to him. Another 4 0 then it should have been, basically. Yeah, really. I mean, people talk about me criticising goalkeepers just throwing his arms and legs around. That's his, a lifetime of training went into saving those shots. But we could have made it a little bit more difficult for him. I'll tell you what I was definitely saying at the end of the QPR game was um, Tyler Roberts looks very good in that position. I'm sure we should stick with him. Uh, he'll come good eventually. And I think that's what most people seem to be saying across uh, across social media, wasn't it? It was a difficult night for the lad. It was made even more difficult perhaps when Izzy Brown came on for his debut because we'd had those uh, 
80 minutes of, of Tyler Roberts, let's say not distinguishing himself as an enganche. So get Izzy Brown on. And then, um, yeah, then it was 10 minutes. Get Izzy Brown off. <laughs> and he very, well, he very nearly took himself off, didn't he? When he'd, he'd got booked and then he did another challenge and you could see him looking at the referee with that sort of, oh God, no, please. I've waited months for this. I think it was the, because uh, the first thing he did was he got whacked on the side of the head when, um, I think, was it Bamford tried to shoot? Or maybe it was Calvin Phillips trying mm. to shoot and it, it just hit him on the side of the head. I think it switched his mind. He thought he was David Batty after that and just got steaming into tackles like it was 1992. Not a good idea. But yeah, more to come for him, hopefully, because that was not a good debut, to say the least. Interesting how Bielsa said afterwards that it was not the right type of game for him. Football. (laughs) (laughs) He's right. I mean, he probably could have played against West Brom and he would have uh, torn them apart the way that Tyler Roberts did. It's a problem that I think is created by Bielsa's style of football to an extent, but then also teams setting up against it like what they feel they have to do is that they just don't give us any space. It's very useful to compare it to the West Brom game where um, with three midfielders, we had so much space and time and opportunity to be first to every ball. You couldn't criticise any of the players for effort at QPR. They were really trying, but they would still end up being second to a ball simply because there were 10 QPR players in the defensive third. And that's difficult to play against. I think Bielsa's uh, part of his purity of his philosophy is just he's not. And does it do any better to stick a big man up front and start pumping long balls? I mean, we've seen teams do that. We we remember the days when Michael Dubry used to be put up front by O'Leary at the end of games. We'd just hammer long balls at him. And he never scored. It didn't work. So sort of saying this idea that if we changed our approach against QPR or even against Bolton where we did manage to get the result, maybe Bolton is the corrective to QPR. We played the three games exactly the same because we always play the same under Bielsa. Bolton and QPR played the same way. It works against Bolton. It didn't work against QPR. And then it worked absolutely magnificently against West Brom because they played a game that suited us. Isn't it frustrating as well that QPR continued their run of appalling form, having beaten us, went to Brentford and got a thump 3-0? Very much the uh, the post-Leeds United slump. The thing is, they were crap in this for large portions of it. There, was, there were points where it looked like we would inevitably score. They managed to not, but their defence was all over the place. We really shouldn't have lost this, but there's no logical reason for it. Other games that we've lost, you can say, oh, they set up well, or they countered as well. They didn't actually counter us that well in this. We still had chances, we just missed them, and we should have had more chances if we didn't keep kicking the ball directly out of play or to them. And they shithoused us quite a lot in that second half, didn't they? As soon as they went in front, just like wasting time, spoiling. Shot, I think it was shortening the game was the phrase you used. Is that, is that applicable from a couple of podcasts ago, Michael? They were doing it from the start. This is the first Leeds United team I can remember where we go away from home and the home team wastes time from the first minute. You see it all the time with goalkeepers just taking the ball, pick it up, put it on one side, then they move it to the other side. People taking ages over throw-ins. And that's a nil-nil at home. It has to be said, Casilla is quite finely tuned in that art of just slightly wasting time when we need to, isn't he? He's really good at that. But when you're winning, I think that's different than when it's, you know, the eighth minute and you're when at home. <laughs> but, you know, I think I think it's cheating when you do it when it's nil-nil and you're at home. You've got a responsibility to make it half decent. This has reminded me, just as we were talking about it then, of the Leeds United team going for the title in 1973-74 when we won, how many was it? Well, we went unbeaten for the first 28 games and were breaking records for being the the best team ever. And um, they started to say, as the season went on, that it was becoming a problem being so good because when Leeds came to town, 
they would build everything up. It was the first example that they, they had to beat as it became their biggest game of the season was taking on the team that everybody thought were going to be champions and trying to be the first one to beat them. And we've got that again this season. One, we are really fucking good. We're up the top of the league and we're ready to finish third and go into the playoffs. <laughs> um, but we're really fucking good too. We've got a world-renowned coach in charge and those two things are working together. And that just means everybody is really, really out to beat us, out to beat us and out to beat Bielsa or at minimum not lose. So it just makes everything is that much harder when you're good. And we've got a squad of players who also aren't used to being good. They've not got the experience of previous seasons of being at the top of the league and being a team that everybody is up for playing against previously. Like Heckingbottom's Leeds comes to town. Nobody gave a fuck. Nobody's doing anything different against you. So it's, it's absolutely fine. Nobody really has to try. We're playing teams every week who are really, really trying. And it's, it's proving to be hard. Unless it's West Brom, in which case it's a piece of piss. Well, they did set up differently. They gave us that space to play in. And this is the game that we've been saying for quite some time. A lot of people have been saying it. We've been threatening to thump a team for a while and it finally arrived. And wasn't it glorious? The first goal, though, one complaint, too early. I'm loading magazines into a car. I'm, I'm, I'm just approaching the, uh, the stadium and I can hear the roar. I think it's the first time I've ever missed a goal due to putting magazines in the car. But yeah, if... Pablo could hold off to at least, and only get in about three minutes past, something like that. Did you want him to just kind of touch left, right, mm. left, right? Few I'm, I'm going to shoot in a minute. I mean, it's nice to go into the ground 1-0 up. It's like being, it's like a some sort of cheat mode where you go in with a goal start. From um, my position inside the stadium, unlike you, Michael, and then adding to that, because I'm watching from the press gantry this season, I'm sort of up the north end. So I was right in line behind Pablo and the top corner, almost as soon as it left his boot. You know, I mean, it was different because sometimes when a player shoots, as soon as it happens, you can be like, it's in, it's a goal. But when it's the 16th second, that's not what your mind thinks. It's just, it wasn't the two things we're putting together. So I was kind of, I can remember my arms going up in the air, but then my hands coming down on my head and going like, what is actually happening? Does like, not compute. Yeah. They'll disallow this. This is too soon. Oh, it wasn't even thinking that there'd be something disallowed. It was just... That can't happen. That can't happen. So it can't be happening. And the noise as well. I would put it on the par with the Bristol Rovers, Beckford, just for the bomb going off, a bomb of volume. You celebrate a goal and it gets pretty loud in Elland Road. This was different. And again, I don't know if that's something about, I don't want to go on about being on the gantry, but you get the North Stand and the South Stand equidistant and you've got it coming up from beneath you, people in the West, and then you've got the full force of the East Stand coming at you, 35,000 crowds, and um, my head fell off. <laughs> and when you start like that, you just knew, didn't you, that night? You just knew. It was a lovely answer as well to the, because the, the sort of narrative running through the week was that this is what Bielsa's teams do. They're far too tired. Look at look at the way they played at QPR. There was the picture of him slumped outside the changing room and it was basically all anyone was talking about was, well, this is it, we're knackered. There's not the energy there. The players have lost it. Then we just came out and within the opening 20 seconds, we just completely taken them apart. And then it, it continued through the game. They didn't have a, they have any chances? I assume it will have been LUFC data on Twitter said today that they had the least number of passes in our penalty area of any team this season. I think it was the least number of touches. They had one pass in our penalty area and about five touches. So basically, no, they got nothing in our penalty area whatsoever. And that response to the QPR game, the level of uh, response, even from 
Leeds fans who kind of maybe got caught up in the the burnout narrative. I, I feel unfair about this, but it's something I saw on Wacko and it's kind of taken out of context in the conversation that was going on the forum. But somebody on there did type the words, I would probably give Bielsa to the end of the season. And I don't know if they'd really even realised what they were writing themselves. They were saying like, oh, you know, I wouldn't sack him for losing at QPR. Probably give him to the outside. Like, well, how have we got, you know, we'd only dropped a third. We were level on points. I'd probably give Marcelo Bielsa to the end of the season at Leeds. It's just the nerves that Leeds fans get into. We were, especially there was the uh, the guy, Jack Pitbrook, the independent one who got shut down by Bielsa for asking about whether the players were tired and then went and wrote a long article about it anyway, which was a lot of it was... Yeah, it's the very easy way you can put the things he was saying are all true, but some of the, he was linking things like, he said, oh, well, his Marseille team burnt out and then he resigned after the first game of the next season. It's like, well, he resigned after the first game of the next season because of uh, broken promises about transfers, nothing to do with what had happened in the previous season. So linking all those things together kind of creates a false impression of what the the burnout problem is supposed to be. And there was also the, uh, I don't think the, the Daily Mail sticking there or in helped, which I think we're going to talk about later on with their story about everything if leads don't go up they'll have to do some things differently yeah it was um, a, that was a really poor article it was just like if people seem to be tense there's real tension in the boardroom about whether they'll go up or not well that's oh that's that's unique i'm sure that a team a team aiming to do something is making the people who work there and their fans nervous and so all that stuff it was kind of you could feel an hour disappointment at not beating qpr as well and also with it because qpr wouldn't let us play it when it um should have been played, even though they were freely available to play at 3pm on the Saturday, as arranged. You know, that was from the start of the season. That was when it was supposed to happen. So all this kind of stuff meant it became a problematic few days between Tuesday and Friday night. And then Pablo's goal, again, that bomb sound wasn't just celebrating a goal. It was like obliterating all that shit from our minds and then just getting on with. But one of the things I love most about this is the times that we scored the goals because you can let teams back into a match, but not if you're going to score in the first minute and I'm going to round it to the nearest first minute, 30th minute, 60th minute, 90th minute. I was going to say that I picked that out of your match report on the Squareball website and I was like, and you know, I hadn't noticed that. Credit to Moscow. I mean, I don't like giving you credit for anything, but it was a really shrewd observation that it was perfect match Perfect timing. Scott at the start, Scott at the end, and then every bit in between. Give or take, first kick of the game and last kick of the game, we scored. And then good just good spread of goals as well. Midfielder, then striker with a couple. Let your defender have one as well. Well, you, you defender. Say defender. Yeah. <laughs> he was bloody everywhere. I mean, what a game he had. And he, it was peak, almost peak Alioski that. We've been talking for a while about what a complete pest he is. Just legging it about the pit. I mean, his goal is just, there's everything about him. You're 3-0 up, it's injury time. Why is the left back the furthest player forward? As you as a fullback playing against him, you must just think, are you still fucking now? It's 92 minutes, mate. You've won. Just just stay down that end and leave me alone. Instead, you have to then suffer him lining players up to do a little bizarre goal celebration. And it, you'd absolutely hate him if you were playing against him, which I love. We have got to the bottom of the goal celebration because uh, we questioned it on the last podcast and Adam Pope clarified what it was. It's when they're playing, I think it's head tennis in training for some reason, when Alioski wins or whatever, that's what he does. That's his celebration. So they've been mocking him. Well, that's the wiggling ass one. But the one on Friday was completely different. He just stood in front of the them lining all. up and He just stood and waved and they waved back. He was just doing like flapping his little hand. 
who was being asked about today, and somebody did say that it might have been a piss take of how posh Bamford is, but I, I don't think Alioski really works on that level. And I, <laughs> I can only assume it might be another of his head tennis celebrations or something like that. His last 10 minutes of this game were incredible for weirdness. The highlight was, I think he'd already been told off for time wasting and there was a throw in and there was a ball girl got the ball and was about to throw it to him. And he like, he put his hand out, don't throw it, just keep it. And you could see the referee was getting a little bit, you know, come on, don't tell her to just hold on to the ball. But he, he made a point, like walking right over to her and he got, and he stopped, kind of put his hand on the ball and then put his hand on her head, like ruffled the hair. And was like, oh, thank you for keeping the ball safe for me. And they said, I can't be booked for being nice to a ball girl. Like I'll, I'll get around the referee if I do that, if I just go on and like, oh, you know what? Thank you for your contribution to this game this evening. You've been excellent. Here is my a hug of appreciation from Alioski. And the, you know, there's still 10 minutes of this game to go, Janny. You want to get on with it? There was another one that I saw watching it back on Sky, which was, if you notice when Roberts went off, you know how players do this, they all sort of came over to go, well done, you've had a great game and all that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll pat him on the arse, you know, tap on the head or whatever. If you watch Ali Husky, gives him a right whack on the back of the head. Sort of beyond a love tap into bordering on violence. He doesn't know his boundaries, that boy. No. He doesn't, he doesn't realise how far he should run. He doesn't realise how, how hard you should touch other people. He doesn't understand appropriate physical contact at all. <laughs> he's, he's only just crossed the threshold from being feral into domestic. He'd, though, stand, so. he'd stand really close to you on an empty bus or something. He'd, he'd just break some weird rules. <laughs> he did it to Mason Holgate as well. In that last 10 minutes when he was just breaking all the rules, when those two West Brom players injured each other, which was brilliant, when um, Holgate eventually went up, he went up to him and kind of just rested his hand on the back of his hair and was just like, stroking his hair for a while. I was like, are you all right? Are you all right, kid? <laughs> he just, I think he just, he knew it was his game. He was like, he was, he had it all in his, like, I can do what the fuck I want. I can run for another 90 minutes if I have to. I can boss everybody. I can touch anybody I like, <laughs> wherever I like, for as long as I like. Um, <laughs> Hashtag me too. And I can score a goal. He was wonderful. They were all wonderful, really. Nice assist for um, Shackleton as well, off the bench. He did really well, didn't he? Came on. Short appearance, short man, <laughs> did well. Yeah, bodes well. Doesn't bode well for uh, Izzy Brown, because you would have thought that might have been the substitution, because it was, uh, was it Click that he took off? It was a mid- it was to go, and- no, it took off Tyler Roberts. It was to play in that position. So interesting that he went for Shackleton instead of uh, Brown. Which of the goals was it that brought the smile from Peacock Farrell? Was that the fourth? It was the fourth one, yeah. It was a big smile as well. It was like arms in the air, big chubby face with a big grin on it. He almost looked cute rather than just like a stone statue of himself. Which, um, of course, you capture beautifully. You know, in the video that you did when he was coming through to replace <laughs> Wiedewald and you put together a video highlight of his uh, his poor saves at York, you know, and you were trying to rubbish his career before if, it had even started at Leeds. Well, if he'd been smiling then, the way he was smiling on Friday, maybe, maybe I would have felt differently about him. But yes, a little bit of human warmth from Bailey Peacock Farrell. It's good to see. And a quick word on Bamford, P-Bams. He had a good game. It seems like he's kind of getting sharper. Disappointed to not see a, a violin playing celebration. I, I thought I thought there was a slim chance of it, but probably a bit too much banter for him. Only an hour into a game, you can't be doing the novelty celebrations, can you? I know we were three up, but... We should mention as well that uh, Bamford playing the violin on our front cover was drawn before there was that whole Twitter rigmarole about him being a violinist when he took part in that... Uh, fake bantered Twitter account. Um, we'd already done that because we're great. <laughs> well done, Reese Lowry. <laughs> He's the illustrator who did that. Yeah, a great night. And do you think this was a performance that 
we kind of needed almost to prove to ourselves that we could hit the heights that we've threatened to hit. Yeah. And it, like I say, it's just a, a straight out and out emphatic dispelling of the thing that we're too tired because no one could, we can play badly and people would say, oh, it's tiredness, but it's bollocks because look what we've just done. We've played a game, West Brom had not had a midweek game. They had longer to rest. No one's accused them of being tired. We just came out and battered them from the first to the last minute. That really needs underlining as well. Same 11, third time in a week. And even at the end, Alioski is obviously the, the freakish example, but none of them look tired. They could have played another game the next day. I mean, I don't know if QPR had a game and maybe were available for a, a, a rematch, but um, we can use this now for the, the next couple of months. If there's anything about if we're looking tired, if we, we all have difficult games again, we need to just remember the West Brom game, kind of prove the theory, prove the philosophy, prove that this can work, but it doesn't mean that there aren't times when it won't work. We seem to be in a three-way joust now for these two promotion spots as it stands at the moment. Plenty of distance left to run yet, but do you think, and maybe this is just the way it's working in my mind, but do you think that maybe now we realise this is in our own hands and we just need to concentrate on our own race, not worry about other teams because we're capable of that? And it is in our hands. It's completely in our hands. I mean, as, as we're recording this, Sheffield United have just drawn. We've still got to play them. All of a sudden we beat them. It looks pretty much done. <laughs> if it was another team that's what you would say if we were if we just lost to a team though and we they went five points clear of us we would say well that's that done that's them finishing above us obviously we won't we won't think like that but um yeah it's completely within our control you're terrifying me with these words <laughs> coming out of your dirty mouth and as callum uh at cal underscore mac 97 tweeted us we are now mathematically safe from relegation, which we were anyway a couple of weeks ago due to teams playing one another. But we are now 100% staying in the championship next season, at least, at least. And because Derby is shit, we are pretty much, not for a Phil Hay moment, but we are pretty much guaranteed playoffs now. We're, I think we're 16 points clear of seventh. If we somehow drop in 16 points, I don't really want to be in the playoffs anyway. Michael, you seem to have changed your tone a little bit now off the back of this West Brom game and you seem to have more belief. Do you uh, think we're going to go up? No, we'll finish third. Yeah, when he says we are guaranteed the playoffs, yes, we are guaranteed, <laughs> yes, we are guaranteed to be the in the playoffs. playoffs. Absolutely true. And, I'm, and it was if we beat Sheffield United, which we won't. No, we'll lose 4-0 just as we beat West Brom. Well, this is all terribly exciting and we have something new out. It's called The Extra Ball. It's our new second podcast that is a stable mate to this one and it's a paid subscription for that one and we are doing it because we really quite like podcasting and we want to be able to do more of it less part-time burden and more kind of we want to do this full-time it'd be nice wouldn't it very nice in order to do that we need the time and money to facilitate it so we need you to help us to free up those resources and the extra ball kicks off this week it is available now if you want to have a listen uh, with a look back to our very first podcast podcast one off the back of the man united victory in 2010 mixed feelings about the quality of that particular <laughs> podcast it feels like we've come a long way it wasn't too bad I, th- I was expecting worse i said the word really about 400 times but other than that and we want you to shape the extra ball as well and give us your questions for us to tackle and we're kicking off the extra ball this week with this question who is your most hated Leeds player? And if it's not Michael Brown, why isn't it Michael Brown? So if you want to hear our take on that, the question from Ross in Gosport, you can subscribe now to The Extra Ball. It's two ninety nine a month, more if you want. We would like you to give it a try though before you commit to it. So your first month is free once you've signed up. And once you've signed up, you can sort of chuck it into any major podcast player. There's a list of them on the website. Just involves putting your name in and a password. It's that simple. And then it'll just update like any other. Go subscribe to that now at thesquareball.net forward slash the extra ball. 
On to the good, the bad, and the ugly in Heroes and Villains, not to mention the great man speaks, Hockaday. He's surfaced again. More on that in a bit. First of all, I think we kicked off a few podcasts ago when Moscow spotted Paul Bottler in Costa Coffee in Knotsford in Cheshire. Who have you seen? Where have you seen him? The more obscure, the better. Another hat-trick of sightings this week then. First one from Liam. Who's he seen and where? Victor. Victor Orta. Not running around the West End screaming to celebrate a goal and uh, not wearing an against modern football hoodie. He was carrying a Lightning McQueen cars bag. I don't know what those words mean. I understand them separately. <laughs> it's a kid's film thing. Oh, okay. He was on a day out in York with his family and he paused for a, a photograph uh, with, with Liam. The thing about Victor Orta, if you do want to run into him. I don't know if this is a regular thing, but you know, the team now has its team meeting in the hotel at Granary Wharf and then they get the bus down to Welland Road before every game. I was walking that route before a match and I overtook Victor Orta with a a gentleman with him walking across Holbeck Moor. He walks past me while I'm selling the mag. He doesn't buy one. Maybe he's already a subscriber. We should should, uh, check the list, but there's probably data regulations. But uh, yeah, so if you ever want to run into uh, Victor Orta, he just he just wanders around Holbeck like any other fan, um, which is good to see. Though so we should say which areas of Holbeck he's wandering around. Um, the more uh, which times it's very much outside the uh, <laughs> the designated the, area. The designated uh, area. First one of its, it's kind uh, in the UK. We should say for non Leeds listeners, a red light district. Well, it's a, it's a designated area for sex workers to work safely is a better way of putting it than Red Light District. And Victor Orta is definitely not uh, going there during its hours of operation. We'll Defin- say definitely, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know if it's... He was going to Dunelm Mill. <laughs> We'd also like to say, you know, the Lightning McQueen cars bag is, it's an interesting choice for a grown man if he doesn't have a family with him. I'm sure he probably does have children. I've seen his children, actually. They, they're sometimes with him. Is he walking his kids across Holbeck Moor? Brave man. This has taken a strange turn. Liam did say that he is with his family on a lovely day out in York and paused for a happy photograph. Everything is fine. Victor Orta, fine, upstanding gentleman. With no connections to the red light district. Excellent. That was uh, Liam. That was Lemon89 on Twitter. Thank you for that. On to Fiona CK, who kept meaning to tell us she saw Danny Mills at Kilnsey Trout Farm last summer. Surely that's a winner. That's very partridge, I feel, a trout farm. It's just, just obscure enough to be... Um to be made up but she's a trustworthy writer I believe so we'll take a word for it Fiona Kyle contributed to the Magher piece on postcards that our players would be sending home is particularly good in the new magazine that's worth pound a month digital subscription plug 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 but it is good and the final one was uh, Tubby Chook saw who I think is Clark Carlisle on a Northern Rail train to Preston I checked him I've matched his tattoos it is definitely him. I was trying to trying to Google shirtless pictures of Clark Carlisle because he favours the long sleeve, but yeah, he's got the uh, he does match up. So worth saying as well, this was one of those photos on a train where if you've ever tried to photograph somebody else on a train, which sounds incredibly sinister when I say it like that, <laughs> but you you want to basically get a photograph of somebody and then not be aware of it. Well, he kind of caught on to this, didn't he? And he's grinning like a Cheshire cat, smiling from the camera. Bam, and the flash goes off. Oh shit! <laughs> Left the shutter noise on. Everybody turns and looks at Dan. We're in hot water with the authorities again. The 5-0 are coming down on us, boys. Uh, we've been charged by the FA again for what we... Is it failing to control our players against oh, Bolton? A, I've heard of that before, though. At least it is a proper rule and not just some made-up shit that they've decided to throw at us this time, which is good of them. The actual phrasing of it is interesting. It's alleged that they failed to ensure their players conducted themselves in an orderly fashion during the 69th minute. Angus Kinnear basically got a bit sassy on it and said that um, it's very hard to control six foot three of angry Swede, which was nice. Do you think there's going to come a point where 
the people in charge of the EFL, I suppose it's still Sean Harvey in name, if not in deed, are going to get sick of his back chat that he keeps giving. I like Sassy Angus. I think he's coming into his own now. He's tasting glory and he's coming out of his shell and I like it. Is it like a sitcom season two where the character nobody really worked out and the first one suddenly starts getting some good jokes, good lines, you start realising there's a point to him. Anyway, that'll be another 20 grand fine or something, won't it? I think for the points deduction if we keep totting these up, just to really cement our place below the top two. It's probably worse news for Bolton than it is for us given they have minus money at the moment and haven't paid staff and... What have you? Could they maybe get around this failure to ensure their players conducted themselves by arguing that they don't actually have any players anymore? Because if they can't go into training, today's news is that training grounds all locked up uh, because of food and fuel shortages. Mm-hmm. It's all a wee bit Massimo, that, isn't it? It's very, very familiar. More sass from our uh, dear leader as well, Roger Sarney, having a bit of a pop at the Daily Mail. Yeah, we mentioned it when we were talking about the matches before. That It just seemed a really curious article that all the details of it was just... If you took the worst case scenario of everything that might happen if leads don't go up, that would probably be sensible. Like, okay, we'll seek it off. If leads don't don't get promoted this season, Bielsa might leave. Some of our best players might get sold. And that was about it, really. They just managed to spin that out into this disaster scenario for no apparent reason. And Radrizzani, obviously, he saw it when he went on the uh, the website. He was probably browsing for some celeb news and uh, in amongst all the stuff about... Wait to see who's there. all grown up now, or whatever it is the Daily Mail likes yeah, to... That, that sidebar, sidebar's sinister, isn't it? And in amongst all that, saw a photograph of himself and... Uh, yeah, and he tweeted at them saying, rather than write a lot of nonsense next time, please come for a cup of tea. And I'm happy to disclose my projects. He was so angry that tweeting in his second language obviously became a bit difficult. Making nonsense assumptions just to attack and unstable our club. Um, I don't care about your goals or who are the ones behind it, but seriously, we don't have time and energies for your mind games. Good luck to sell a few more papers. Uh, you don't really get it. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Nothing will take us away from our goals and kill our ambition. The reporter's going back to say, well, you don't know how good our sources are. And really, there weren't any sources. There was nothing in that article that you couldn't just have put together. If you know how football vaguely works, that if teams start losing, managers leave. If good players are at bad teams, they leave. But it's the Daily Mail. I mean, they've been known to whip up irrational fears on occasion. It was interesting timing, though. That is a question when Radrizan says, I don't know who the ones behind this. It did just seem like a calculated point because it was a very stressful week. As we're saying, the QPR game didn't go well. West Brom was, was an absolutely huge match. And this happens, and I've got absolutely no evidence to make a direct link, but it all seems to feed into that fucking fat Frank Lampard junior scenario where there's a certain section of the media and maybe the football establishment that are still kind of, they don't like that we got away with just a £200,000 fine for all that and they don't like what Bielsa is doing in football and they don't like the idea that Leeds United might succeed this season when we've watched a Derby County fucking corner kick routine. And so they start planting all this shit, getting it out there to derail us. Contrast that with the excellent journalism of The Guardian and their interview with one of our all-time greats, Sir Dave of Hockaday. It was a, it was a good interview though, wasn't it? It was, to be fair. I think Hockaday, it painted a picture of Hockaday's time at Leeds more favourably for Hockaday than I remember it being, mm. is what I will say. Also perhaps more favourable than it was. Yes. <laughs> I think it was very much Hockaday's... I mean, there was a lot of um, love for him for the last line when he said... Uh, I'm such a massive Leeds fan now. I love them to bits. It was only three months, but it is a massive part of my life. And you think, oh, that's 
you know, that's sweet, giving it, and the stuff about him being uh, screwed around by um, Massimo Cellino, and, and which we mentioned with Bolton's ground, having no fuel and no uh, food for the players, pretty much the same thing at Leeds. And he said, never encountered a more dysfunctional group of players, which given his background in non-league football exclusively, um, <laughs> apart from his playing career at Swindon, is interesting that they were so extremely difficult to deal with from that, that point of view. He'd never seen anything like it. But then the, some of the other stuff, like wanting to sign... Andre Gray, Virgil van Dijk, Craig Cathcart, Mark Hudson and Connor Cody. Those are some very, very good targets, mm. retrospectively. Should have probably gone for them ahead of Nicky Jose in the uh, grand scheme of things. Nile Ranger. Yeah, and then there was Andre Blackman, who was his left-back of choice. He was hanging around all pre-season as well on trial that we thought we were going to get. So there's a big gap between his uh, claimed targets now and the, the players he actually was looking at, his choices of players. There's a little bit about that of me piping up and saying, do you know what? I want Scarlett Johansson to come and live with me and be my wife. Not going to happen though, is it? Now, Massimo Cellino might have tried a little bit harder with all that stuff. It sounds like he dismissed this Virgil van Dijk talk out of hand, but you get his attention with something like that. Hey, you like a woman? Dave, I get you a woman. And Virgil van Dijk was at Celtic at this point, wasn't he? Yeah. He wasn't being plucked from obscurity somewhere. He was at... I think he was playing Champions League football for yeah, Celtic. He, he Celtic, would... not obscurity? Well, I mean, arguably, but he would have been expensive, is what I'm saying. When he did leave Celtic, it was for £13 million. So I don't mm. think we had £13 million to spend on a single player in those days. I don't think so. There's a lot in it that doesn't really add up to my memory of the time because he talks about being thinking that Chilino only wanted him to be an under-23s coach and maybe thinking he wanted him to be like a first-team coach behind the scenes and there would be a proper manager. But if you remember his first interview, he said as well that the, the press conference, he was introduced to the press before he'd even signed a contract. If you remember the press conference, I think the first question was, are you surprised to be here? And he just kind of shrugged and went, no. And his whole attitude is like, well, why wouldn't I have this job? And now in retrospect, he's all like, like oh, I thought it was crazy that I had this job. So I think... I mean, the way he's talking about his job now, he is head of male football at South Gloucestershire and Stroud College. <laughs> PE teacher. <laughs> where he has been since 2016. <laughs> and his, uh, his comments on that are, I'm going to leave a legacy here. I'm going to build something incredible at South Gloucestershire and Stroud College. It's quite a step down from Leeds United, you'd have to say. I'm sure it's a fine college. But I don't think many other people will be making the, the direct step between the two, will they? And you've got to ask as well, like normally when a, a football manager like gets in the press like this, it's because they're trying to drum up, maybe making themselves available for a job. You know, the Fulham jobs just come free. That He might be putting himself out there. And he does say, you know, it was a brilliant experience. I learned a lot about myself. Can I handle the shit? From our, what we saw, no. Yes, I can. He says, can I handle players at that level? From what we saw, no. I think so. He says, basically what we learned from this is that Dave Hockaday had a really hard time working for an absolute maniac, is willing to perhaps twist what happened to make himself look better in retrospect, that he successfully identified a £30 million centre-back as a good signing. And I mean, I could do that. And that he is still supremely confident, um, way, way, way above his, um, his means. To counterbalance that, he did call Giuseppe Belushi a pussy, so... That's good. And what comes out of this, during this time at the club, he was there at the same time as both Belushi and Cellino, so he was far from the biggest knobhead at the club. And it sounds like he was working in ridiculous circumstances. Off the back of this, you had people like Simon Austin tweeting and Phil Hay tweeting saying, oh, he used to ring me at one in the morning. And Simon Austin said he once rang him up to tell him he was going to sack himself. 
This is Chilino, by the way, yes, not Hockaday, just to be absolutely clear. Yeah, ringing a journalist at one in the morning to tell them he was sacking himself. <laughs> you just think, this, this shouldn't be happening. And thankfully, that's now in the past and things are slightly different now. And you contrast what happened there with the stuff that was in the Five Live documentary, which I've not listened to yet, I have to confess, with Guillaume Balaguer, who got access to Thorparch, had a sniff around, got a feel for the place and some real gems in there. We had heard some of the stories before about, although I'm still intrigued about how Bielsa managed to get architectural drawings of our training ground um, before he'd even met Victor Orta and Angus Kinnear. Leeds Plumbing Portal or something. Well, his wife is an architect, so... Yeah, but you contacts like the, the architect underworld, mate. Do you think Frank Lampard is claiming that he had architectural drawings of Derby's training ground as well? Yeah, we do that. We've uh, we've got them. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if Derby County have a, a fireplace in their training ground. Leeds United have one. I do like um, uh, Reef's assessment of it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fireplace. I'm imagining him just looking at it. Maybe with those uh, still in his Christmas get up with the shades and the the woolly hat, just looking at it. Doesn't make sense. What I also liked about Pat, was, Pat, what is it? What I also liked was the quote where he said, like a bunch of kids. So there's Bielsa there sipping his uh, tea in front of the the fireplace and all the kids running around. We can't be trusted with it, says Roof. I just go on the PS4. Can't be trusted with fire. To hear the, the two of them, because there's Bamford and Roof talking and Bamford, obviously, as we know, is a very, very posh sort of guy. He's He grew up in a house, I imagine, with, he'll have had a roaring fire in his bedroom, I imagine. The butler will have stoked it before putting him to bed and, and what have you. Whereas Roof clearly had never never seen anything of the like. And Bamford, you know, we were talking about the family portrait with a Labrador, clearly above a fireplace as well. Yeah. We said that a few podcasts ago. Bamford was only confused that there was no one, no staff there to, to maintain it. The other thing that really came out of it was uh, Adam Forshaw now wants to be a manager, which given how he played in his last game, he can probably just go and start that now if he feels like it. Absolutely fine. Go and uh, instill his uh, backwards style on some fucking League Two team if he wants. Um, I think Pontus Janssen said something about this, not in this documentary. Liam Cooper was in the documentary talking about just thinking differently about football, like in a way that they've not had to deal with before. Um, and thinking differently about life as well. I think um, Roof was quite good on that. And he said it earlier in the season as well, that just some of the things that Bielsa talks about when they have team meetings about stuff that is nothing to do with football, just about how to behave and how to carry yourself and all that sinking in. It's a good listen. Actually, 50 whole minutes. Obviously, don't listen to that instead of listening to this. Don't switch off. If you can make some more time to listen to something that's not quite as good as this, but possibly has better access to Adam Forshaw, if that's what you want. I mean, Five Live, what have they ever done? Anyway, speaking of Roof, he's been to see the witch doctor, Rob Price. He's doing some work already, isn't he? And I know he's got the brace on his leg, but he's still trying to get him back in that magical, whatever it is that Rob Price is up to, the Butcher of Beeston. We see you, Price. We see you, but good that you're getting our injured striker back sooner than we first thought. The one injury related, well, if, is it injury related? No, I just didn't know where else to type these words on our prep sheet. Is this true? Yeah, the, the under-23s match last week, whenever the it was. Is this the Newcastle match? Yeah, the Newcastle Cup game was held up at the start and all the Leeds players had to come come back out in the uh, lime green training kit. And it's all because our goalkeeper, Will Huffer, is colourblind. That's rather unfortunate, isn't it? And with the kits that, uh, I think Newcastle were wearing these pale blue kits. I think we might have been about to wear whites, which would have been absolutely fine, but he just couldn't tell the difference between them. And um, we joke about having a, a colourblind keeper. It's, it, I mean, this is a reference that will go over everybody's heads, but go on YouTube and look for uh, Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion. Hours of absolute 
uh, wholesome family entertainment with a, um, a cross-eyed lion that a family are keeping as a pet in 1950s America. Um, and f- <laughs> for some reason, I now picture Clarence the cross-eyed lion in goal for us in the under-23s in a kit. Um, <laughs> but Will Huffer, much as Clarence was able to cope with domestic life in 1950s American suburbia, can navigate his way through the under-23 cups available to footballers at his level and made very clear to the referee, I can't tell these players apart. We have to do something. And so he's, he's obviously something he's grown up with, so he knows how to deal with it. Just march up to the referee. I don't know what the fuck's going on. He's not felt compelled to make a video trashing his career yet. Then. <laughs> Give it time. Not, not, not got enough material to work with yet. Probably just gathering it. Mind you, all the errors that he's likely to make due to colour blindness as well. And let's face it, if Will Hoffer is colour blind, imagine if he commits a professional foul, he's going to be one of the few keepers who can get shown a green card. I get the feeling we probably have listeners who are colour blind because it is, it is very common. And on behalf of uh, myself, I apologise for these two wankers. I was uh, trying to make the point that Will Hoffer deals very well with a, a condition that could affect his career if he allowed it to but uh, but a fine, upstanding young man is not letting it hold him back, nor should it let anybody hold them back. If you are colourblind, be proud. Speaking of fine, upstanding young men, uh, Nathan Jones, Stoke manager, let's move on to the blasphemy baton, a.k.a. the God Rod. He summoned the power of the Almighty to beat us uh, some weeks ago now. Since then, when Preston beat them, they inherited the blasphemy baton, the God Rod, and they've been on an unbeaten run since. Seven games unbeaten, most recently drawing with Bristol City keep possession of the um, the blasphemy baton. They face Blackburn at the weekend in what probably nobody calls the M65 derby. But we know for sure now that the blasphemy baton will remain in Lancashire one way or another. I'm still not comfortable with that. So it's Tony Mowbray against Alex Neal. If uh, one of them loses, will God smote their eyes? Well, that's one of his old fashioned punishments. We use the God rod to kind of just poke their eyes out. I don't know what else happens when you lose the blasphemy baton. The implications aren't clear. Possible problems if Blackburn do inherit it, given that we've played them twice this season already, so we can't take it directly back from them. No, I don't know what implications that has for the universe and the Lord and his view Means of they us. can wield it over others, though, which mm. is good. Raising it. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> that could be handy when they're playing Rotherham. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. 
Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Before we get on to the Bristol City game, let's pick our heroes and villains from the last seven days. It's been a week of contrasts. And let's start first with the Ken Bates Villainy Award, an award bestowed upon somebody who has made us feel sad. Named after Ken Bates because he made us feel very sad lots and lots. He gets a customary nomination, although he's not eligible to win the prize. What for this time? Can we think of any convoluted, pointless, silly reason? In preparation for the Extra Ball podcast, which I'm sure just the mention of the words will be sending people to the squareball.net to subscribe, we listened to the first episode we ever did of the Squareball podcast back in 2010, which was wonderful because it reminded us all of uh, Jermaine Beckford scoring in Brazilian against uh, Manchester United. We dug out the old commentary clip of Beckford, but it was unfortunate because it also reminded us, it put us back into the mindset of a world where our club was owned by Ken Bates and Michael was looking forward to an away trip to Exeter, of all places. Let's just remind ourselves, Leeds United have only been outside the top two divisions once in their history, and it was fucking Ken Bates' fault. And the only reason we ever had to play Exeter in the fucking league was because of Ken fucking Bates. So, nominated. And in that podcast, we spent an inordinate amount of time wondering whether, because we'd just beaten Man United a, a great moment of glory, would Beckford be sold in the January transfer window? <laughs> That's where we were. That's the space that we were in. Bravo for that nomination then, Moscow. Who else? Didn't do anything but Dwight Gale for being Dwight Gale. His very presence just annoyed me the other night. Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything at all to upset me. Just hate the man. Didn't perpetrate any crimes? No, not really. Just a weird looking fucker. Don't like him. (laughs) Speaking of weird looking fuckers, Keith Andrews is on the list. I missed most of uh, his bile uh, spouted against Leeds, but what I am aware of sounded absolutely ridiculous. That Of all the things you could pick out from Pablo Hernandez scoring after 16 seconds, you would choose to speculate whether the two players who were not offside were offside, so the goal could have counted. Of all that, like, that just marks you out, as people have suspected for a while, a Leeds-hating prick. Yeah, he's not even hiding it now either. He's, he's almost playing up to it in the skybox. And if you've seen the clip of Jimmy Hasselbank nearly vaulting the table to uh, take that bitch down, he's worthy of it. And I have another nomination, Pat Bamford. Maybe slightly uh, partisan one, but um, talk to Mick McCarthy. Pat, Mick McCarthy says he wants Pat Bamford to be an international footballer playing for Ireland. Can I make my Pato Bamford joke again here? Yes. Is that it? Have you just done it? That was it. (laughs) Which you'd think would be easy. He's eligible to play for Ireland. He's a good striker. Mick McCarthy's a good lad. But he's been reduced to saying this in the press. I've been doing all chasing. It's time. If he wants to play, he gets hold of me or sends me a WhatsApp. I'm pretty sure if he's trying to recruit players for Ireland, he'll do it in an Irish accent. Mick McCarthy can't do an Irish accent. Come on. He full well knows that I've been doing my damnedest to meet him. I mean, I don't know if it's Pat Bamford just assumes that any thick Yorkshire accent coming out the phone is just one of his servants and therefore he can be safely ignored. But answer the phone to Mick McCarthy, you bastard. He's not just there to organise you getting your shoes cleaned or whatever you think it's about. He's an international football manager and a fine, upstanding Yorkshireman and a Leeds fan. 
and he's worth uh, talking to. To be fair, Mick does also say that actually they've exchanged text messages since and uh, Patrick's keen to meet up in the coming weeks. It's just a matter of him finding a date that works. But still, it shouldn't have to come to this. Send me a WhatsApp, Pat. Does feel a little bit like he's an outsider for this, given that he scored two goals this week. Yeah, but you can't be nasty to Mick. One of the petty additions to it, actually, as well. Tim Robinson, the referee from the West Brom game, just for completely bottling uh, sending off Gareth Barry. Clearly was going to do it. Almost had the card out, then a bit of him went, oh, it's Gareth Barry. Oh, I've booked him. I'll just have a word. Mm. And then predictably he was substituted within about five minutes. Can we just nominate Gareth Barry as well for the way he kind of skulked off before he got sent off? Didn't leave with any kind of dignity whatsoever. Like, it's not a tactical substitution. It's not an injury. It's purely you're too shit to be on that pitch because you get sent off. Get off the pitch. Mm. And retire, Gareth. You're about 50. Yeah. yeah I mean, what's in it for him? Loads of money. In fact, yes, apparently the West Brom players are on like a multi-million pound bonus if they go up. I only briefly saw that in their paper, some pundit was saying that they shouldn't have to have a bonus to, to get promoted. But yeah, so they're throwing away their own chances to be in the money by losing 4-0 to Leeds. Should we just revel in that for a moment? 4-0 to Leeds United. Good that, wasn't it? I really enjoyed it. I have to say it was a very enjoyable evening. So we should definitely award this to Keith Andrews for his attempts to spoil it. Yep, agreed. Hard to argue with that, yeah. Right, on to the Andy Hughes Hero Award, recognition of somebody who has brought us joy and happiness. And speaking of the 4-0, there's been quite a lot of that. We named it after Andy Hughes because he embodies the battling, joyful spirit of modern-day Leeds United. Who would you like to nominate? Off the back of Keith Andrews, actually, um, at White Leeds Radio on Twitter, um, he's done a few mental things in the past, ringing Bates and Chilino and stuff. This week it started off with Dave Hockaday in a room and it was kind of um, like one of the old school choose your own adventure books where you could decide what happens next. I won't, I won't spoil it for you because I think it's worth going to going to his Twitter account looking through the stages. But it started off with Hockaday in a room and it ended up with Keith Andrews in there. So go to his, his Twitter and just, just follow the adventure. He's nominated for being a mad bastard essentially, isn't he? Yes. So I think Johnny uh, Olowski's uh, second consecutive nomination. Didn't he win last week? And yet here he is again because he's got even weirder and even even more wonderful in the West Brom game. It's almost as if he listens to the podcast and decided to give us even more pleasure. Hi, Janny, if you are listening. And he's now got a song on YouTube, which is quite addictive to uh, the tune of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which when once you, st- I, I heard it this morning and then I couldn't remember what the original song was, even though the chorus is entirely just repeating uh, the name of the song over and over again. But I just couldn't hear it as anything other than Janny Alioski. There's a really tenuous link here and it's a little bit down a, a rabbit hole, but we're going to make it anyway. I have an LP, the best recording of the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang soundtrack I've ever heard is sung by Ronnie Hilton. Dan, how many, how many versions of the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang um, theme tune have you heard? Not just the theme tune, it's the whole recording, all the songs. Ronnie Hilton, who sang uh, The Lads of Leeds and uh, Leeds Night Calypso and all those songs, fine gentleman from Hunslet. He sings it and his, the Yorkshire tone that he brings to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is wonderful. I mean, when it comes to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, for me, I've only ever known, you know, like the best version, that kind of one. The, the film one. That everyone knows, that one, yeah, the main one. The big one. <laughs> there are others out there and if you can get hold of the LP with Ronnie Hilton on, it's well worth it. Frank Lampard, um, he's getting a nomination for being a little fraud and a crybaby, losing 4-0. Uh, who beat him 4-0? Villa. It was Aston Villa. Aston Villa are also getting nominated for being 4-0 up at half-time and not turning it into 8 by full-time. Finish the job, for fuck's sake. I saw a nice clip of um, Derby fans actually having to escape from the stadium at half-time in this as well because they obviously hadn't opened the gates to let people out and people were vaulting the turnstiles to, to leave Villa Park. 
they were so disgusted with a 4-0 um, scoreline, which is nice. It's nice how they're turning on him. Yeah, I, I found myself on Saturday afternoon because Leeds uh, weren't playing, watching BT Sports version of the goals show going in that they mentioned at half time they had somebody reading out tweets from Derby County fans saying it was time for Lampard to go you know what I talked before about this kind of Lampard media obsession the guys losing games one after another they're 4-0 down at half time and when they read out Derby County fans questioning him as manager you've got people like Chris Sutton and Robbie Savage and uh, John Hartson they're going oh no 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 I mean where's the patience in I gotta football? give him a bit more time <laughs> And, for example and such um, as if you know <laughs> no Derby fan should they should it really sounded like they were saying they should be just glad that somebody like Frank Lampard has even lowered himself to managing their club you know if it was a foreign manager as well they'd all be saying oh he doesn't know this league this just goes to show what championship experience does he have what, what championship team? experience does fucking Lampard have losing in it that's what experience he has shut up Dan I'll tell you what he needs that foreign manager that, that mythical one you just made up Needs Ashley Cole. That's what he needs. That's what, he need. That's what he'd good, probably do. Good, solid English pro. Just one after another. Line them all up so they can all fail one after another. We'll just get promoted with uh, Marcelo Bielsa. A few other heroes we could definitely pick out of that game against uh, West Brom. Tyler Roberts for turning it round based on the QPR performance, which wasn't great. Pablo off the charts. Good. Anybody else from that game? Have we had Bamford yet? Probably deserves some credit for scoring two goals. His disappointment at not getting the man of the match in the sky. Um, I've not yet seen this clip. I've just heard it talked about. It's great. There's kind of a, he's, he's holding the trophy. No, because what they do is they get two of them on the pitch there and um, the interviewer and will hand one of them the trophy and say, could you give that to the other bloke? Bamford visibly disappointed <laughs> and almost snarky and smirks at the fact that he's got to give it to Roberts. You see, this is why I nominated him as a villain. He won't deal with Mick McCarthy on the level. He's a little bit narky about giving a giving an award to Tyler Roberts, who clearly played better than him just because he scored a couple of goals. I don't know, Pat. Don't act like a spoiled child, even though you are one. Any more nominees or should we pick ourselves a winner? Uh, Bielsa is on the list for his fireplace at Thorpe Arch, which we did forget to mention. It's not only the, th- the fireplace that he's had installed, but... Um, there was the anecdote about the uh, the dormitories that he's, he's had built and that when the, the plug sockets were all installed, he pointed out that they were not quite equidistant between players' beds and so they had to take them all out and put them all back in again. <laughs> and he then apologised for having made them do it. Afterwards, he reflected on it and thought, oh, I've been a dick. I shouldn't have said that. The sockets were fine. They were absolutely fine where they were. I'm really sorry, everybody. <laughs> Which is lovely because you, you get the combination of his... Uh, incredible attention to detail but also his human frailty it was all wrapped up in that whole Spygate thing it was like I do not understand why I have this compulsion to be such a perfectionist but it's just the way I am and he gets out of it it sounds like he gets out of it uh, they were saying that he hugs the ground staff all the time like he'll go to them and give them a hug and just say thank you for giving me such a wonderful pitch to play on and that they absolutely love that Who he showed wouldn't? both sides this week as well when he said I shouldn't have shown myself to be so down after the QPR game and I shouldn't show myself to be too elated or something now. I mean, we could go back to the clips of him when he was a younger manager on the shoulders of uh, his players and fans screaming Newell's Caraggio while um, helicopters try to keep control. Something had been achieved then, though. I think, he's, he, I think he'll allow it himself at, at the end of the season. Speaking of which, have you seen the clip yet of the moment after the fourth goal, Gianni Alioski's goal goes in? It looks a lot like he's roaring the word, Carajo! If only I could buy a t-shirt with that word on, or maybe a mug. A Leeds-themed one, maybe. That would be the ideal, because I am a Leeds fan. Can I just tell you, you can find links to those at thesquareball.net. We're dropping so many disgusting plugs. Oh, Michael's, it looks good on Michael, though. Oh, been working out. 
You obviously can't see this because you're listening to it, but if you want to see it, (laughs) buy one. (laughs) Slide into the DMs. Oh God, that was up for grabs. That was really grubby. Who we're picking for a winner for this then? I want to give it to Alioski again. Yeah, I can't argue with it. He was so wonderful against West Brom for so many different reasons. I feel like we uh, we gave him it a week too early, so it's our fault that we have to give him it again. Right, do we go into this one then with a newfound confidence? Springboard off the West Brom game to Bristol City away. And we were getting a little bit, I think, maybe were we twitchy about facing them because they were in a fine run of form, but not so much recently. Yeah, the shit now, which is helpful. Um, yeah, they won some games, but the last three is lose, lose, draw. So that means the next one's going to be lose. Put an L on them straight away. Not worried about Bristol City in the slightest. We've got a, a very petty sort of grudge against them as well now because of their dickish tax avoiding chairman. Is avoiding the legal one? That's the legal one, isn't it? Yeah, he's... he's yeah, if tax avoids, doesn't evade. <laughs> he doesn't pay it, though, is the key. I think if we just say that he fucked off abroad so he didn't have to pay uh, as much tax, hmm. that just gets it to... We don't have to use any uh, terminology. He uh, he fucked off abroad because he didn't want to pay for your hospitals or your schools or your roads. That's the guy. And he's he then wanted Leeds United to be deducted points because he's an arsehole. He didn't really come up with any better justification than that that I heard. So it's him. And he hired, you know, we missed out before Salim Lamrani came up with another one of his uh, wonderful nicknames that he's been bestowing on, on people. Liam the Example, Cooper, Kiko, El Gato, Casilla. We now have Pablo the Brain Hernandez to add to the group. I don't know if he's responsible for Lee Bellend Johnson, but that's, I believe that is how Lee Bellend Johnson prefers to be, be uh, referred to. And you were saying it's an arsehole hired by an arsehole, pair of arseholes. What is the collective noun for arseholes? A Bristol? Is it a Bristol of arseholes? That might be what we're dealing with here. I'm prepared to run with that if, if it works for you. That's absolutely fine. How are we going to get on? Well, according to whoscored.com, they only have one weakness, which is unusual for a team that's <laughs> uh, for a team that isn't really very good. But their one weakness is defending counterattacks, and they are very weak at defending counterattacks. So I think we might just West Bromham. They themselves are supposed to be very strong at counterattacks. So it makes me f- wonder if they're going to try and counterattack us and we're going to catch them out. I think this game could be six all the way it goes on. Yeah, because they're good at coming back from losing positions as well. So I think we're going to keep going ahead. This will be a game where we... Uh, um, they're also good at protecting the lead. So we're going to have to go ahead. I'm, I'm planning the game out in my mind. We're going to take another early lead. They're going to equalise. That's going to repeat over and over again. We'll win 9-8. Feels a wee bit outlandish. I don't back, want to overstate it, but... Backed up by stats. I've, yeah. bl- I've read whoscored.com and I've it's put like, the data together. It's like Moneyball. It's just exactly. like Moneyball, yep. isn't it? I was looking down their squad list and they've got a cautionary tale for Izzy Brown there. And I just on the... In their appearances is uh, Callas, who's still a Chelsea player, signed for them in 2010, still out on loan in 2019. He's played four games for Chelsea in that time. Let him go. For God's sake, Chelsea, let the man go. He doesn't need to go to Bristol every year. They must have given him new contracts in that time yeah. as well. Like he didn't sign on a nine-year contract. Nope, they just keep him tethered to them. And he's, uh, I think he's 25 now. Never going to play for him. Just let him go. Um, so is he Brown? Let that be a lesson to you. Do you want to be in Bristol working for Lee Johnson? I mean, Lewis Baker is already a lesson to him. That's a cautionary tale right there. Having to end up in Reading. Yeah, they're, they're such a middling... They've got like Andres Weiman, who I suppose was good at Derby, sort of. But they sold all their players, didn't they? All the big ones. Yeah. In fact, yeah, Lee Bellen Johnson was going on after they... I think they drew with Preston at the weekend. 
yes, I have the resort in front of me, so I don't know why I had to guess. <laughs> um, and he started going on about how him and Alex Neil, like the similar managers at similar clubs, he's like, I've tried to sign a lot of his boys. Like, oh, I was in for him because we're fishing in the same pond for players. And that's what it's about. We haven't got the money of the teams at the top. We have to, we have to buy these rough diamonds and train them all up and sell them on. And that's just the way it is. We got it. And he's really bigging himself up as like coach of the year. He is also, as well as Dave Hockaday being linked with the Fulham job, mainly on the strength, apparently, that some of his family already works for Fulham and that they're all fans. So that's apparently has been enough to make the link. So I think Dave Hockaday probably still has a stronger shout there. But it was it was just kind of nauseating. And he needs to, like, yeah, okay, Leeds spent, what, he'd spent 10 million on uh, Douglas and Bamford. But if he wants to make this weekend into a who's better at coaching poor players competition, we could swap managers for the weekend and we would probably end up as we did under Lee Bellen Johnson's protege, Paul Heckingbottom, and Bristol City, just with one game with Marcelo Bielsa in charge, I believe would win the league. And if you want some more money, he could get on the phone to his chairman, who's got some squirreled away offshore. <laughs> there is no reason for him to uh, be fishing in the same pond as Preston North End, although I suppose Preston will be fishing using the God Rod. Although I think they should respect that a little bit more than just like trying to catch fucking Paul Huntington off the end of a fishing him out of a pond, pulling him out of a lake like a sword. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting weekend of fixtures anyway. Norwich Swansea on the Friday, so we'll know what they've done before we even... um Lost. They're going to lose. I think they might. Take to the grass on Saturday. Uh, Sheffield United, Rotherham, West Brom against Ipswich. You'd have to fancy both of those two to win. So it really is crunch time. Well, we've seen uh, the night that we're recording, Sheffield United have not coped well, just going off the 0-0 result with a a South Yorkshire derby. So they've got another one in quick succession, having to play these big crunch fixtures against their local rivals. They've just got to be glad that Doncaster's not in the division to bother them anymore because I don't know if they'll be able to see off the challenge of the mighty Rotherham. It will be up up, up for this match. What's going to happen, Michael, against Bristol City? Win, lose or draw? Draw. Moscow? Win 9-8. I say win. By a slightly less uh, ridiculous margin, I'm going to say we'll score three. They might get one if we let them. Haven't decided yet. And that wraps up this podcast, number 120 of this regular Squareball podcast. Check out our other podcasts now. We've got two. That's exciting. The Extra Ball, our subscription podcast. You can find that at the squareball.net forward slash the extra ball. Please do go give it a listen. You get your first month of that for free. Also have a look on there when you're on the website as well for issue eight. Lord Bamford of uh, on the cover of our fanzine, holding his violin and looking resplendent in his posh Leeds United themed uniform. All that's at thesquareball.net. Thanks for listening to this and we will speak to you next time. The Squareball Podcast. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.